David. Good to be here with you again. It's been a little while. Um, maybe if you can open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. I want to talk a, a little bit today about <clears throat> equality. Um, saw a, a debate between a couple of people recently. Um, a lady who was fighting for the women's side and a man who was fighting for the men's side and um, about equal rights um, for women in particular. And um, I guess that the main point that was being presented by the lady was that uh, um, violence of any sort against women uh, cer- certainly uh, is not acceptable. And it's something, of course, we all believe in here. Um, something God believes in. And, um, so I think she was putting her case, uh, very strongly as far as that was concerned, but maybe, uh, um, wanting, I guess, uh, men who would be perhaps a little more protective. I think that's maybe, uh, part of the argument, but, it was going a little bit further to talking about what they talk about as gender norms where we uh, seem to be, uh, by society, forced to act a certain way um, as by culture to be a boy or to be a girl rather than something that is instinctively built into us. And so, therefore, we keep turning out um, girls that have girls' jobs and boys that have boys' jobs uh, because of the way we force people and so on. Uh, of course, there are certain things which uh, are very much the way we're built, and the day that men can get pregnant is a day I'll get scared. <clears throat> um, so there are certain air boundaries that can't be crossed. Men are probably built a little bit better to be bricklayers, but that doesn't mean that ladies can't be. I'm married to a bricklayer's daughter, and she doesn't do a bad job. Uh, whatever she can in that department. And we know that during uh, times of world war that many ladies have had to fill in jobs for men uh, and have been uh, uh, capable at it, maybe even better. <laughs> but uh, we don't want to admit that. Um, and But, of course, there are certain jobs that men need to stick to, and as we heard from Rod's testimony about men being fathers, that only men can be fathers. And when they go missing, it often does damage. And so we certainly do have uh, what we would believe as our God-given roles uh, that God in the beginning intended for male and female to complement each other and work well together, but we seem to have a lot of war about that. Um, and um, so I suppose I just want to look at a few scriptures about um, how the Lord does see things. and. Um, We'll start here in chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus uh, called his disciples to him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve and to give his life a ransom 
for many. Now, the Lord is not even here talking about an equal position, but a servant's position. So that when Jesus came, he said, I could have been above you as your God, and I could have been equal with you, but I actually came to serve you. So it's a remarkable position that he puts forward. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And this is written to people who are already in the church, but there's a a picture here that God wants to paint for people who don't know him, an attractive picture. In verse 26 it says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the Lord is not differentiating here as one over another. And his picture in the church is that when we come to know the Lord, that whatever roles we might have in society, that in the church he sees us that he wants to bless us all. There's no a little bit more to some and a little bit less to another for whatever reason that people might imagine. Um, and, of course, that's a, a great position that we have. I might just touch too, got, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Just a little bit here about the father and mother role in a family. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's interesting here that um, it's often uh, the mother that we think about is the one who is nurturing children. But this is actually written to fathers so that their responsibility in this area is not to be overlooked, that God saw it as important enough to say it here, that a man doesn't stand back and just be the authoritarian, um, as it says here, maybe provoking to wrath but also that he has a role here in the nurturing and the the safe upbringing of the child. Let's also go to uh, Titus chapter 2, and in verse 3, the aged women will will say the uh, senior ladies, (laughs) likewise, that they be in behaviour as becoming holiness, not for false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So here's the responsibility also uh, towards the children uh, that is given to the mother. And what we see a lot more in society these days is that the role is being shared. Um, and, and while society might have had different norms in the past in that area, the modern view of trying to share is not contrary to the Bible. And God's always first are those things which are good. And God has always wanted mother and father to be involved um, with the bringing up of children. And God has always wanted equality between male and female long before people started fighting over it. He's had it in his word that that's the way it should be. Now, cultures have changed all that at different times and tried to assert authorities in different ways and um, and yet that's not God's way. That wasn't his intention anywhere along the line. Let's go to John chapter 9. People often want to blame 
sort of the white Christian male and so on in the modern view as having been um, dominant, um, uncaring and so on. But if there are such men, and maybe I might have had a tad of that growing up, if I'm honest, um, but that's not the Lord's way. And the Lord changes that in us if it needs to be changed when we come to know him. So John chapter 8 and starting in verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. You know, just picture this here for a minute, you know. Here they come in, they're ready for a stoning. You know, we're going to have a lynching country talk if we're going back to country singing and talk. Um, and they were on the, they were on the move. This woman was about to die. And Jesus just stops, just draws in the sand and everybody's sitting there waiting for what his next words are going to be. And in verse seven, so when they continued asking him, so they're, they're at him, he lifted up himself and said to them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, waiting for them to have a bit of a think about it all. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, uh, the whole idea of justice here was changing because Jesus was bringing in a period of grace. And it was a remarkable moment for people to see this sense of fairness where it's not that the woman wasn't guilty, she was. I don't know where the man was that was in the adultery because I don't think she did it on her own. But they haven't lined him up, which is maybe the way the society was. But the scribes and Pharisees who've come in all their self-righteousness have come ready to administer justice and it was justice according to the Old Testament. But Jesus was now challenging and saying, okay, fair's fair. I'm going to be equal about this. Now, if we're going to be stoned for having sinned, if we're going to be judged before God as having sinned, who's got a clear conscience and can start this process off? And of course, um, as we see here, one by one, these uh, people who had so much anger and self-righteousness had to peel away from the circumstances. And all of a sudden, this woman, who must have in her own mind known I'll be dead in about 15 minutes, is totally free 
of all all the accusations that have gone against her. And so he does this great thing to her here and says, don't do it again. They would have been marvellous words to her. Don't do it again. In other words, I'm not dead because of what I've done. And of course, Jesus, when he came, we know came in to examine our attitudes and to to really get to the, the core of issues with us as to where we all individually stood before God, not in a comparison way. You know, I'm doing better than them, and so therefore I'll get in, but they won't. But rather, each of us has to stand before God and answer for ourselves, how am I doing? And not not compared against the murderer, but compared just with one thing, and that is, am I doing what God has asked me to do? Do I believe him? Do I follow him? Is my life led by him? Or am I using some other measure to uh, uh, to sort it out? Let's go to John 3. So another religious man, Nicodemus, here in uh, verse 1, it says he was a, a ruler of the Jews. <clears throat> but this man had a conscience. We read of him a bit. Um, he was torn between two because he was a Pharisee and probably felt that he was in the right religion and doing what God wanted him to do, but he was really convicted by what he saw in Jesus and he was pulled both ways. Do I give up my religion and follow Jesus? What's that going to mean to me if I do that? And so he, he comes to Jesus here under the cover of darkness. And in verse 2, the same Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So he describes what being born again is. It's being born of water and the Spirit. We know elsewhere in the Scriptures that being born of water is water baptism. Being born of the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and causes us to speak in a new tongue as we read happens at the beginning of the church. Now, when Jesus talks to him here, this is not um, a different measure to this man because of his own perceived good works. I know you've been a Sunday school teacher. I know that you've been very good to your grandmother. I know that you've always put your bins out on the right night. I know that you've never upset anybody. And so therefore I'll give you a bit of an easy road. Now he says, except a man or a, uh, that could be translated a person, anyone. Same word. Except anyone is born of water and of the spirit. There's no difference here one to another. And we can say, oh, but my church doesn't say that. But this is the judge of all. You know, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says. And, and here is Jesus, and he's saying, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, 
There is no other way that you can possibly consider going to heaven, no matter how you might think. And it's equal. It's a, it's, we can either look at it as an exclusion or an availability. There's an availability to get to heaven if we just do this. It's not hard. It can happen here today in 10 minutes. It's not some great mission that we have to accomplish. You don't have to sign up at Bible class for the next two years and get yourself a certificate. All you need to do is get baptised in water. We've got it ready here today. And when you pray to receive the Holy Spirit, the Lord will be there and he'll be wanting to give it to you. It's equal for all during this period of grace that God has in place for us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Verse 9. This is again writing to a church and reminding them of um, their past. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now, we can look at that list and go, well, that's a, that's a pretty heavy list. <laughs> and Paul, when he, Paul the Apostle, as he's writing here, he knows the testimonies of these people that he's writing to. And he said, and he's sort of saying, remember, we did some of these things. And it starts with fornicators, which is, uh, um, not a word that's used a lot in society, but it's sort of all types of immoralities. That's what it's talking about there. And there's many different types. And, and it goes through and mentions some of them here. And, and we have had, and we have testimonies in our fellowship of people who've come to the Lord after having committed adultery, like we read about the woman. We've got people who've come to the Lord after having been gay or having been transgender or having been a thief or having done all manner of things. We've got people who have come and, and done these things and, and just read on here in verse 11. It says, such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so this wonderful process of washing is available to every single person and nobody needs to come in and say, yeah, but my sin can't be forgiven. And, and of course, on the other end of the scale too, it, our, our list of good works um, is not going to get us through either. Um, maybe we should touch on that. Um, Where's that? Titus? Try that. In verse 5, chapter 3. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's saying the same thing as what we just read in the other passage. That it's, uh, in this case, it's not talking about our bad deeds, but about trying to present our good deeds as saying, but surely that's enough. And the Lord's saying, no, that's, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And it, it needs to be of his mercy. That's the way he's chosen it to be so that we will humble ourselves and say, okay, Lord, 
whoever, whatever my life has been, if, if I have to let go of my religion as much as somebody else has to let go of their drugs, will I do it? Will I let go of it? Because my religion maybe wasn't that crash hot anyway. I mean, most people tell us by simple observation that there's so many wars in the world because of religion. True? And there are. Not God's intention. That's just what happens where people are pitted against each other with different ideas. But that's not the Lord's way. And religion, of course, we know that there's so many horrific stories of how people have behaved towards each other without without going to all the detail here. And so it's not as though we can sort of say there is no fault there at all. But even if somebody has lived a good life and they have read their Bible and they have done everything that they possibly could, what the Lord wants of, of us is that we do everything that he has asked us to do. And that's to be born again of water and the Spirit. And all of a sudden, our life becomes far more powerful. We might believe in him, but until we have the experience of the Holy Spirit coming into us, we can't operate the way he wants us to. We can't be effective the way he wants us to. And I mean, I'm thrilled to have left my religion behind and, uh, and found out that there was a God who could do amazing miracles in my life. And um, I'm most thankful for that. And it's given me a tremendous freedom. You know, that what's the scripture say? If the sun shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And that's a freedom now. And, and we don't have to get inv- involved in the, the battles uh, that the world wants to get us involved in. Um, Acts chapter 12. I just want to look at a couple of scriptures quickly, if I can, to make a little bit of a point about um, freedom. This story is really worth reading, Acts chapter 12, where Peter uh, gets, there's an earthquake and he gets out of jail through the earthquake um, and James has been killed. Um, but while this trouble was happening, the church was praying. And we know what that's like, that's what we do. And um, and in verse um 11, it just talks about Peter finding his way out of the jail. When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now, just a simple little point I want to take out of this story, just that one verse, is that persecution was happening to the church and two of the leaders had been taken, one of them killed and one of them set free miraculously. And here's this sister who decides courageously that she's going to open up her house for prayer. Now, I don't know, you know, what the possibilities were or what could have gone wrong there, but while they were on the hunt, to be sorting out the disciples, a knock on the door from the local Pharisees or the the Romans mightn't have been such a surprise. Who's in there? Out you come, down to jail. But here they are, this lady has found great courage in coming to know the Lord. 
And um, it, it mentions here that she's the mother of John Mark, who we know um, had a bit of a rough start serving the Lord. But it seems that later he came good. And this is his mum, the one that had an influence on him. Um, and and here they are sort of doing the sort of thing that went on in that household. You know, sometimes people are, are saying, somebody asked me recently about whether women preach in our uh, assembly. And I said, well, we don't really want them to because they'd probably do it better than us, so we just try to avoid that if we can. Um, but um, all jokes aside, we know that the Lord has a, a way and a role for each of us. And um, and there are so many stories in the Scriptures of people who have said, who have not fought for a position or for a role, but just seen who they are in the Lord. And even as Jesus was saying to the disciples, stop fighting amongst yourselves as to who's going to be in charge. You've all got an important job to do. And here this lady found what she could do. Another little similar example, Acts 21, if we can just go over there, and verse 8. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Now, Philip, we read of earlier in the book of Acts, the Lord really used him in a big way. In verse 9, the same man had four daughters, virgins which did prophesy. These single women still at home and um, really led of the Lord. I think that would have been an exciting thing for Philip. That not only had he gone out and seen the Lord save people and the Lord had used him, but here's his daughters, got the same fire in them. And, and they're not being held back saying, what can I do? They're just saying, Lord, I know what you've done for me. You know, and I was just thinking the other day about the scripture that, uh, where it talks about Mary. We might just go there. I think it's, uh, Luke 1 or 2. Um, and, um, the Catholic view of Mary is, um, wrapped up a little bit in the Hail Mary, which I don't know very well. Is there anybody here that can quote the Hail Mary? So, Hail Mary, full of grace. That's the bit I just wanted to go for, full of grace. Let's just look at the scripture. Um, Luke chapter 1 and verse um, 26. And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came into her and said, Hail thou that art, that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Now, this terminology here about highly, being highly favoured, this is what we talk about the word grace, um, to be highly favoured by God. There are others spoken of in the scriptures that are like that. Um, we read of Abraham, friend of God. Pretty good terminology. We read of David, a man after God's own heart. Mary seems to fall into this category. And and if we can just go to Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 7, writing to the church again, but unto every one of us 
is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Unto every one of us is given this grace. So the period of grace we have at the moment is available to all. Um, sometimes these days I think people have got a bit mixed up with the word, that phrase full of grace. If somebody is graceful, it's how elegant they are. But the Bible term of being full of grace is a person who believes, is a person who is humble towards God. That's the Bible term. And, and in a way, you know, the, the, I don't know how the word graceful has come about in the English language, but the emphasis can very easily go on to being elegant rather than on being full of faith. And that's what God was looking for in Mary, not that she looked elegant. And, and so, and she was going to suffer a fair bit because of her faith and having Jesus born to her. But then it tells us here that this applies equally to all of us who are baptized and spirit-filled. And in verse 8 it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And we were captive to something. But now we've become captive to, to Christ and that's a place of freedom. It's a wonderful place of freedom that we, we like his boundaries. They're a great place to be when he says, don't go there, don't go there, but stay here. And, and none of us get any more than any other. I remember hearing a, a lady who had a church background, Pentecostal background, and she was in a family where her, um, uh, she was from India and her, her father uh, was a pastor. And she had come to believe that only certain people high up would ever receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So it was something she could never attain to because it was sort of, you know, specially chosen. One day, her son, who she'd been praying with and she, she hadn't received the Holy Spirit herself yet, but they, as a family, they prayed. He was playing a little ukulele, I think. And as he was singing, all of a sudden he burst out in tongues while he was singing, her little son. And she's, how did that happen? He's not sort of one of the, you know, he hasn't been to Bible college. And the next thing she got witness to, and she found out that she, she could receive the Holy Spirit, and she did, and didn't have to be in the upper echelons. It's a free gift to all. You know, sometimes people sort of try to find ways out that, well, I know somebody prayed for ages and never received the Holy Spirit. I never like to make this too public, but I obviously am now. I took 11 months to receive the Holy Spirit, and I would never want anybody to take that long, but if you're as thick as I am, you might. Because I, I couldn't see how much the promises were for me. I didn't know how to just humble myself and believe it. I wanted to analyze it. God has meant all these things for us. And so he, wa he wants us to be sure and to be confident and not to feel that we're some second-class citizen in any way whatsoever when we come to approach him. We are all in sin when we come before we come to know him. But he can change all that around. Let's go um, looking for something to wind down on. Um, Romans chapter 8 and in verse 14. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God and daughters. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You know, when when we make the move towards the Lord, the Bible talks about baptism, as we were talking about before, and receiving the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we die with Christ. You know, as he went to the cross, it says we die with him. We don't actually have to go on the cross. That's a really nice relief. But we die with him. And it says that as he was raised, as the Holy Spirit raised him, so we, by the Holy Spirit, are raised. And then we speak in tongues. And so the confidence that we have that it's talking about here is that all of a sudden now we're sons and daughters, we're brand new, we're forgiven. It's all a brand new start. And joint heirs with Christ, that's a big one. That's a big one. But that's God's promise to all of us. None of us any less. But when we stand before God, we know that he's done all that for us as long as it says here that we are led of the Spirit of God. Keep walking in the light. Keep walking with the Lord. And we will not miss out on any of these things. We we are able to come to the throne of grace boldly in our time of need. That's what he says. Like any children that walk back into their parents' house and feel they can use the fridge. That's what God wants. Just walk on in, feel right at home, the promises are ours. All the people said, leave it there. 